Hello and welcome to Moving Iron Podcast number 78. On this episode, I have Kevin Vandervoort of Hoobers um, out on the East Coast. So, Kevin, welcome to the show. Good morning, Casey. All right, buddy. So, just give me a little background on Hoobers and, and uh, your geographical area that you cover and, and some of your crop mix that you hit. So, Hoobers is uh, started in 1941, actually the week before Pearl Harbor by uh, Bud Hoober and... Uh, so we're third generation family Case IH dealership, um, Scott and Rod and Chuck, um, Scott and Chuck are the brothers, Rod's brother-in-law, and they are running the business today, uh, took over from their dad, Charlie, um, let's see here, about uh, seven, eight years ago. And uh, nice, good, great, great family to work for, um, been in the business a long time, you know, they've seen ups and downs and uh, been through it all. Um, started off up in Intercourse, Pennsylvania. International Harvester wanted uh, Bud to sell tractors to the Amish. and They still haven't been able to accomplish that. <laughs> so, but, uh, you know, from there, um, we've got uh, eight stores today. Uh, we've got three in Pennsylvania. Um, we have one in Maryland. We have two in Delaware and two in Virginia. So essentially we uh, cover from about the North Carolina border to the Pennsylvania border throughout the Mid-Atlantic region. And uh, to, you know, big, big diverse region. Um, we've got uh, dairy, we've got chickens, a lot of chickens. Um, we've got uh, corn, soybeans, wheat, barley, uh, vegetables, uh, you've got uh, some fresh market vegetables. We've got freezer packed vegetables, a bunch of sweet corn gets grown here in Delaware, uh, watermelons, cantaloupes. Um, you've got uh, a lot of hay, uh, especially out in uh, the Shenandoah Valley of Virginia, um, in uh, the, the like Hagerstown area of Maryland. There's a lot of hay and beef. Um, of course, all throughout Pennsylvania, you got all the dairy that's going on. Plus, there's in Lancaster County a lot of chickens, got some pork. So, I mean, we've we've got a nice diverse uh, agriculture in the area, and uh, it's it's an advantage for us because you know we don't we don't have to rely strictly on on uh, cash grain price. And due to the chickens, we typically have a positive basis, but. Uh, it doesn't say we don't uh, still have the, the pressures that everybody else has across the country. Um, and then uh, down in Virginia, there's uh, peanuts and cotton that's below the James River. So that's a really unique area for our Wakefield, Virginia store. Um, equipment down there tends to have to stay there because we can't grow peanuts or cotton anywhere else in the territory. Um, so it makes that store a little bit difficult, but, um, you know, it, it's again, any of the multi-location stores know how, you know, you, you're able to move equipment around and that's one of the advantages to having that. So, um, so that's kind of our territory and, and, uh, the footprint that we cover. Are your stores diverse enough to where they're going to have 
um, enough differences to where maybe like tractors, for example, to move across straight locations? Are you able to do that across straight locations, or are, is there enough variance between your locations that that makes that difficult? Uh, tractors, no problem. Um, the, the only unique thing about like the Wakefield, Virginia area, those guys they they run um, big mounted rippers mm-hmm. with mounted planters behind that. So they've got to have uh, the the really high lift three point hitch. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, it's you know one tractor can go anywhere in the in the territory. Um, I would say our Pennsylvania people they want um, as fast as they can go road speed, um, and on the shore, uh, what we call the you know the Dumbarton Peninsula, um, they, those guys they'll they'll they're okay with the twenty five miles per hour, but uh, Pennsylvania wants 30 just because they tend to transport between places a little more. Mm-hmm. Um, the, you know, the, the Northern, the, the Pennsylvania and some of Maryland, the roads are a lot narrower. So transporting equipment is, uh, is pretty tough. Um, on the peninsula, the roads tend to be a little wider. So we, we don't have that as much of a restriction there. And, uh, tend to have a lot wider equipment, but, um, you know, just like, I mean, trucking this stuff is, uh, expensive. And, and so that's, that's one of the hard things is really, especially our tillage equipment, it doesn't move too much between stores. It's pretty much, if it trades in in one store, it's going to stay there typically. So are you more of a row crop tractor area that you have, you have a lot of articulated full drives or track machines, stuff like that. Are you more of that you know, 200, 300 horsepower row crop tractor size? You know, it's, it's a mix. Um, we've got, we've got people, uh, over in New Jersey that are running articulated tractors, um, on the, on the peninsula running some articulated tractors and, in, and in Pennsylvania as well. Um, but you know, with the 300 plus horsepower row crop, the articulate are, are slowly going away, at least in our area, just because people are more comfortable running that row crop tractor than they articulated. Mm-hmm. Um, so that popularity's you know switching, um, but but yeah, we've we've seen it all. I mean, Charlie Huber brought Stagger here back in the seventies, and um, he sold a boatload of uh, of green Staggers and Kraus discs. Here in the East Coast for years. It's amazing how much stuff, how, how dynamically things have changed, you know, from from one thing to other, just the horsepower size of, of uh, row crop tractors and, and how they've kind of evolved over the time frame to where, you know, and I, I would assume, I'm just making an assumption here, but in your area, um, population size has got to have some effect on on moving equipment around. I mean, you've got to have some pretty busy roads and stuff like that that you're, that you're working with. Um, and that's got to be a little bit of a, a challenge for for uh, the farmers and stuff in the area. A oh, big challenge. Um, it's nothing to, you know, move a piece of equipment down the road and you got 20, 30 cars behind you and they're all impatient and wanting to get around you and ticked off. I, I remember I, I so I worked for a, a 5,000 acre crash cash grain operation in the Richmond, Virginia area before coming to Hoover's and, uh, had a 9150 that, uh, um, 
one of the micro switches was going bad on the transmission and it was 4.30 on a Friday afternoon in Mechanicsville, Virginia, sitting in a traffic light when that micro switch decided to not work. And I sat through three cycles of the light in the left-hand turn lane uh, with a, uh, I had a Krauss disc and a rolling and a uh, Packer. So, you know, what, 60 feet long. Um, and uh, I had a lot of ticked off people. Let me tell you what. I can imagine you weren't anybody's favorite person at that particular point in time. No, no. So, but yeah, you know, um, moving it up and down the road, that's, that's definitely, uh, something that we deal with here. And, and like you said, the population pressure, there's just, uh, uh, the urbanization of our area, we're losing ground every year. Um, and the people have no concept of, of what farm equipment is, of what the farm is. And uh, really, you know, that they, they want you out of their area. Um, so it's tough. But they want to eat, though, right? They all want to eat. Yeah, it's amazing how that works, isn't it? Yeah. how that works. All right, man. So let's jump into a little bit of your background. Um, you mentioned earlier that you worked for a, a, large, a larger farmer uh, before you started working here at Hoover. So give me a little background about yourself and how you got into this business. Uh, worked on a dairy farm in high school and that's kind of what got me into farming. Um, went to a, uh, because of that, uh, went to Penn state, got a degree in, uh, ag systems management and, uh, ended up down in uh, Richmond, Virginia, working for Bondioli and Pavese. They make, uh, PTO shafts and gearboxes. And, uh, from there ran into, uh, uh, a farmer that, um, I ended up going to work full time with him. Um, and like I say, we were, when I started there, we were tilling about 5,000 acres of uh, corn, soybeans, wheat, and barley around the Richmond, Virginia area. And then picked up uh, another about 2,500 acres out around um, Charlottesville. And then uh, had an opportunity to come to Hoover's. And so uh, left the farm and, and came to Hoover's as a parts traveler. So I was uh, doing part sales to the farm um, and had uh, all of Delaware and the peninsula, the rest of the peninsula, south of Delaware, about 300 customers that I would see uh, on a monthly basis. And, uh, you know, I would come into the store in the morning, look at my uh, part sales that I had for that day, stuff I was going to be delivering and um, kind of ran a route and then load up the truck, go out, deliver stuff and, and talk with the farm and find out, you know, what they were going to need for the next time I was there. Um, and did that for almost seven years. And then, uh, that was right about the time we had a housing boom in this area. And so I thought that I really wanted to work for myself. And so I left and went to work as a contractor doing home remodeling. And then in 2013, um, ran into Chuck Huber and we uh, got to talking and I came back to work in August of 2013 and took over the job as used equipment manager for uh, a guy that was retiring after 20 years. So he had all the fun and I got into it right at the, at the peak of that and had to figure out how to uh, be a used equipment manager as values were plummeting like a rock right 
good times. I remember that. I remember those uh, those years. That that was a very very trying time. You know, we you went from I think we were almost ten years of the best years ever. You know what I mean? Every year was better than the year before, and it seemed like there was no end in sight. And then all of a sudden, they turned the the faucet off, and everybody went dry. But right now, so let's take let's jump into what what the uh, what your retail marketplace looks like now. You know, post twenty thirteen. Um, 2018, I kind of feel like there's somewhat of a leveling off of, uh, of the marketplace. I think we've, there's still a lot of equipment out there. There's still a lot of, a of supply, but it, it feels like to me, when you talk to producers and they're going to, and they're looking at their equipment, they're upgrading their stuff because they have to, not necessarily because they want to. And I think that's driving some, some of the sales that I'm seeing out here. So what are you seeing out in your area and, and how is that dynamic playing out there? Same thing here. Uh, you know, you're, you're hearing all kinds of uh, the woes of the dairy market. And I'm, I'm not going to say it's not hard, but the guys that are good managers, they're, they're still have some, they're making money. Um, they're just not making money like they used to. Um, and, uh, you know, same way with the crop guys. I mean, it, it's the good managers are, are that, and they can uh, plan everything out well, and they're replacing a piece here and a piece there. And, and, um, so, you know, we're, we're having a better year this year than we did last year. Um, and we've been able to, uh, it was hard, but over the last, since 2014, we have, um, really improved our inventory situation used and new, um, it's down lower than it was, um, before I started and to the point where, you know, we're looking at some speculative buying, um, We've got some holes to fill in, in row crop tractors and, uh, you know, a couple combines here and there that uh, we need the, the right class of combine to, to satisfy some sales. So, um, you know, I'm excited. I think I agree with you. I believe the, the tide has turned. Uh, I think, you know, have I, I, I want to say we've hit the bottom and we've turned the corner. I don't think it's a... Uh, I think we're going to be on a plateau for a while um, until crop prices start to, to come up a little bit. But uh, I don't see us, um, you know, getting any kind of great increases in used values. But um, but at least we're not falling year to year, uh, even quarter to quarter. Um, so I'm, you know, it, it's kind of. Uh, we take the lessons that we learned in the last two years and, and it's going to help us be a whole lot more profitable going forwards. Yeah, I would definitely agree with that. I mean, I think there's no, um, to your point where I think we've hit the bottom and turned the corner. I, I, I would, I would really agree with that. It, it would take some catastrophic event, you know, to, uh, to really make it go down further. Um, you'd have to have, you know, some trade issue or something like that with whatever has happened with the, with the Chinese, I guess they've come to some level of, of agreement there so it looks like that's been averted um for the time being but if that were to happen that would that would drive prices down so the more i uh more i look at the market the more i study i feel like we've we've, we've stabilized and and we're moving forward um but like to your point i feel like we're going to be at a, a plateau now until we get some more cash in uh producers hands to to start you know buying equipment again the consolidation in our area i know this past winter i can think of um three guys that all retired that, that I knew and were customers I used to take care of. Um, and 
we from you know for us so there's there's three combines there's uh six eight ten tractors three sets of tillage pieces three sets of planters that are all out of the market so we're not getting any of that tillage equipment parts business um because all that ground was, was is going to be rented and farmed by a larger operation and they've already got the equipment so that's that's going to be the new issue going forwards is how we deal with that and um and making sure that we've got a good game plan for the the consolidation process of producers i guess my biggest struggle going forwards is uh the big combines and uh big planters like who's the second owner and how do i create that second owner for that piece so that um i don't have it sitting on a lot as a yard trophy I would agree, man. That's I, I struggle with that every day. It's it's a uh, day in day out, always the same thing. Where it's you know you start looking at the price of equipment, and and you have a, a four hundred thousand dollar, four hundred fifty thousand dollar combine, and the next guy in line to buy that machine is probably looking at something in the neighborhood of I don't know three hundred fifty thousand bucks if it's a if it's a one year trade, you know. And the the bad part about it now is is that the price of used has gotten so high that they can also probably afford to buy a new one, you know? So it's, it's, it's that dynamic of how far back from new do you need to be? And then to get that second guy interested. And then how do you make sure that you get all these people financed? That's the hard part now is making sure people can get financed. And, and with the, uh, the way that um, operating notes are, are now and, and kind of the leash that the, the lending arm of, of our business has on our producers, it's, it's hard to get guys in, in the driver's seat per se to, to move forward on, on some equipment purchases. Yeah, we've got that. I mean, the, the other aspect for us is just the, uh, that big combine, um, that big planter, it's not going North. It's not going to go into Pennsylvania. Um, so, uh, and we just don't have enough, uh, en- enough other buyers in the, on the shore or like the Northern neck of Virginia to, to be able to absorb that on the U side. So we're really going to have to figure out how to, um, you know, team up with some guys in, in the West um, to try and send those to a, an area that can use them um, or come up with some other plan. Cause uh, you know, the, the infrastructure in the, in the Northern region just won't handle that, that big unit. And the, the customers don't want something that big for the most part. Are, are the planters and stuff that you that you're talking about are they are you mostly 12 row planter area or do you are you talking like your big planters are, are like 24 row and bigger is that what you mean by the big planters um we've got a few people running the 24 row but yeah a, a, you know a lot of 12 23s and and some 16 31s mm-hmm. uh you know 16 row corn planter pretty much that's that's going to be a big planter how has the high speed planter technology affected your area so like precision planning um well a little bit of both i mean we're having we're having uh good success with that new 2140 uh or 2150 planner um got a number of those units out and uh a lot of good report from the customers that have them um but uh, aside from that yeah you've got a lot of guys that you know they they go to uh uh crop shows in the winter and they come back and they're, they're bolting this and that and everything else on a planter. And, 
And of course, they spend $50,000 on blinging out their planter, and then they want all that money back whenever they want to trade it in. And it's, uh, it's right. impossible to do, man. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, planters nowadays, and I had this conversation just yesterday with a, with a, one of our sales reps. It's like they've gotten to the point now where they're, they're such a fingerprint. You know, what, how one guy wants to set up and the very next guy that's his neighbor can't even fathom doing it that way. And it's just so hard to find that, that second person that wants that exact setup the exact same way to go back out and work it. It's just, it's just hard to find that. And it's getting harder as, as technology and, and like you said, bolting things on here and there to get those things to work. It's just, it's just getting harder and harder every year. Yeah. I've had a discussion with the sales guys that just like, you know, Hey, that guy, yep. He took a, a $35,000 six row planner and he turned it into an $80,000 planner, but that doesn't mean you're going to give him, you know, $70,000 in trade value because it's not happening. Right. Um, you're going to have to go back and we're going to work from that base value and, all that precision stuff, he's either going to take it off or we're not giving him anything for it because the next guy doesn't want it. Yeah. That's another thing, too, that I'm – with the economy the way it is and with the um, producer looking to have the best possible um, situation for themselves, the most efficient you know, tool they can have in the field – I, I am very interested to start watching the the, uh, the used precision planning market and what that looks like, um, and and how that will how that will turn around. Because like you said, you know, like you can take a twelve row planner, like you said, a thirty five thousand dollar planner, and you can throw fifty grand worth of stuff on it, and you got an eighty thousand dollar planner, right? Well, unless it's set, I mean, it's just that it goes back to that point earlier. Like if it's not exactly what the guy wants, then or it might have too much stuff on there, he doesn't want the whatever, you know, to to make it do what it needs to do. I'm just interested to see how that works and what that, how that plays out. I mean, I, I, I guess in my conversations with the sales guys, I've said, look, this is kind of like a used car. Um, I'm looking for a certain few things and the rest of it is, is fluff, but you've got to get that right buyer. That's maybe willing to pay for some fluff, but your unit has all the basic things that he's looking for. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's it's going to be a struggle, no doubt about it. Yeah, that's just one of those evolutions of the business. There's, you know, every year there's every few years comes along some something that we have to have to contend with, and this is just one of those things. So, all right, well let's let's talk about this. And so let's look out here through the rest of the year. Um, I'm sure most of you guys are done planting out there. You've got corn in the ground, beans in the ground, that kind of stuff. Just waiting for the cotton start planting cotton here for too long. Yes, down in Wakefield. Um, the uh, actually, I'll tell you what we we've had a boatload of rain, so we've got some guys that don't even have corn in the ground yet. Okay. Uh, and uh, we've got, I mean, corn that was planted, it's coming up. Um, there's a 11 acre field behind my house, and they no tilled it uh, a couple weeks ago, and I walked through it yesterday night, and uh, you know, it, it's popping. Um, I was kind of wondering what it was going to look like after we had about 10 inches of rain last week. So, oh, wow. But, uh, it, it's, it's up, looks pretty good. Um, beans that we're planting, they, they're, they're popping and, and looking good. So we got plenty of moisture right now, but we just, like I said, we've got people that don't have anything in the ground just because they didn't, didn't hit it timely enough. Um, so we're, we're getting ready to, uh, start harvesting barley here in another 
uh, probably about two, two and a half weeks and then jump right into wheat right after that. And then they'll be, uh, putting in double crop soybeans. Um, and then we get to the lulls of summer while we sit and watch and wait and see what's going to happen. So what's, what are some of your biggest struggles you think you're going to face, uh, going through, through the summer and months here? Um, I've got, uh, I've got too many 12 row corn heads that I got to get rid of and I've had them for too long. Mm -hmm. Um, and I've got, uh, some big, I've got some, uh, 8,000 and 9,000 series combines that I've got to get rid of. Um, we, you know, they've, they've been in inventory too long and we've, we've got to get them moved, um, make space for the next set of trades. Um, and, uh, it'll help to figure out where values are going to be for the, for those next set of trades. Um, that's probably my biggest area of concern in my used inventory. Um, I'm okay on, on uh, row crop tractors. Actually, I probably don't have enough in the right area. I've got some holes in my horsepower ranges that uh, I need to get filled. But uh, otherwise, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty excited about where our used inventory level is at. But those are my two big pain areas that I've got to deal with. Yeah, I mean, for me, I, I would, I would kind of echo what you just said. I, I don't have... Um, I'm more concerned about the holes in my inventory. Um, we start looking at gaps and it's like horsepower ranges and stuff like that. When you start looking at tractors, um, that's kind of one of my biggest concerns. Um, you know, my combine marketplace, and I, I'm, I'm kind of probably going to be speaking for everyone here, but the combine deal for me is, is always just, a you just hope and pray that, that, that there's a good crop and there's no drought anywhere and, and unfortunately we've got the drought part going on and that's going to that's going to how that affects the sale of, of combines uh use combines uh coming up i i kind of worry about that a little bit um and how that's going to affect my inventory that i have <clears throat> all in all I'm, I'm pretty much like you are I'm, I'm excited about the way things are going and i feel like there is some there is some light at the end of the tunnel here that we can we can start seeing and and i feel like uh you know going through the summer there should be some some positive things that happen but i'm worried about how how the drought is going to affect the, the used combine market in the, in the south crop market's been moving up here a little bit and a little bit last few days um now the stuff's popping out of the ground of course that gives everybody some optimism um obviously we'll i'm, I'm hoping that that 10 inches of rain we got isn't going to be the the last of it um be nice to if we could bank some of that for uh july and august um fortunately we got we have a lot of irrigation um a lot of guys have irrigation on the peninsula um so drought isn't the drought pressure isn't um i don't want to say it's it's nothing we worry about but um you know there there's you have that to fall back on um but yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm optimistic. I'm optimistic that we're going to have a, a good fall. Um, you know, for us, uh, October, November, December, those are our, that's going to be the busy time of the year. And yeah. uh, so I, I really, I want to get all of my pain issues kind of out of the way so that I'm ready to really roll with our used inventory into the final quarter of the year. And 
be making uh, good trades and hopefully have good sales. Yeah. And that's the hard part about being a used equipment manager. You know, it, it is uh, your used inventory does affect the way that you're going to trade for the next generation machine that you kept coming in, right? So, like in your in your case, you have too many corn heads. It's going to be hard for you to go out and put a bunch of more money in in corn heads if, if you can't sell what you got. You know, so it's that that ebb and flow of the trade cycle and market conditions and um, supply and demand of equipment on the marketplace. All that is such a all those things have to kind of come together perfectly to make to make things run smoothly. When Great Plains um, made so we sold the turbo till and then they went from the turbo till to the turbo max and really made the turbo till obsolete. And we didn't get ahead of that soon enough. So back in uh, late 2013, early 2014, we had about uh, 25, if I remember right, turbo tills sitting on a lot. Um, and so we put a, a stop and said, we are not trading anymore until we get that level down to, about four or five, something that was more manageable. And it was tough. Um, it, w it was really tough. It, it upset quite a few salesmen and we lost some sales, but we were able to get it down. And so I really don't want to have to do that with, um, you know, corn heads, but uh, yeah, you, you've got to be able to control it. Cause, and, and the thing about today is if, if you put a complete stop on anything, well, Tractor House is available to everybody. Fast Line's available to everybody. Everybody's website's available to everybody. So if you stop sales, they're still going to happen. It's just, it's going to get something brought into your territory. And that becomes a future trade that you're going to have to deal with. So it's, uh, uh, how, how, how you control that is, is tough. Yep. It is the, uh, dichotomy that we face every day in this as a, in this position you know it, it is such a you know you put too much in this piece over here it doesn't sell you don't put enough in that piece over there you don't get it so you try to find that middle ground that is beneficial to both sides of the situation and and you hope that you made the right decision when you got it yeah uh when you find that crystal ball let me know because i want a piece of it well, everybody gets issued one when you take this position. They maybe they might have forgot to give you one when you when you started. Uh, that explains a lot because yeah. I did not get one. Go to HR, talk to them about your new hire packet. They forgot to give that to you when you're okay. You got hired, huh? <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. Well, I think we've covered it here. So, got anything? Any last words you want to say before we shut it down? Uh, I just hope everybody has a good year. You know, hopefully. Uh, the, the areas that are in drought will uh, hopefully they'll get blessed with some rain and uh, we'll have a safe, uh, safe harvest this year and, and uh, be, be a good year for everybody. Right on, man. Well, that's going to do it for this edition of the Moving Iron Podcast. I'd like to thank Kevin for being a guest on this episode. Remember, if you want to continue any of these conversations, you can hit me up on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at Moving Iron LLC. And you can send me an email at movingironpodcast at movingironpodcast.com. Moving Iron LLC has a website you can visit at movingironllc.com. Here you can find information for the 2018 Moving Iron Summit in Las Vegas, past and current episodes of Moving Iron Podcast, and articles from Moving Iron Blog. Throughout the year, there'll be guest bloggers writing on various topics from their point of view. 
If you'd like to support the podcast, you can leave a review and subscribe at your favorite podcasting platform. You can find this podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher Radio, TuneIn Radio, and SoundCloud. So until next time, let's go move some iron. This is Casey Seymour, out.